Welcome to this episode of Your Financial Planner, Now What? I'm your host, Hannah Moore, CFP and owner of Guiding Wealth Management. Today on our show, we'll be talking about partnerships. Honestly, I've been skeptical of partnerships as I've seen far more fail than actually be successful. But my two guests today, Rhett Dean and Sean Kelleher, have made me rethink my assumptions. There are quite a few young advisors starting their own firms right now, and this interview makes me wonder if some would be better off partnering instead of going it alone. I think you'll really like this episode. Um, I'm Rhett Dean. I am, uh, I'm with River Chase Financial Planning. I've been partners with Sean now in business for five years. Uh, we've actually, well, you're probably going to get into this later, but uh, we've been uh, working together for many more years than that, but our partnership with, with the firm that we're at now has been for five years. So you're a CFP? I'm a CFP and an enrolled agent with the IRS. Okay, great. And so Sean, what's kind of your background? I'm also a CFP. Uh, as Red said, we started the firm five years ago and uh, also an enrolled agent like Red. We both had a background somewhat in taxes and prior to in our prior employer's uh, years. And uh, we started this five years ago because we got to a point where we wanted to go out on our own and that's when we started River Chase. Very nice. So what's your background? How did you guys, what, where did you start? Um, well, this is, it, it's interesting because uh, Sean and I both started, well, we both started at the same firm in 1997. Uh, it was a firm called HD Vest. It's a broker dealer here in Irving uh, that we both basically got our start at. I, I came out of school and actually went to um, Oldie Discount Brokerage. I'd seen um, the movie Wall Street one too many times and thought I could be the next, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say Gordon Gecko, but maybe the alter ego of Gordon Gecko. Um, and, and realized quickly that, uh, the world of brokerage trading was, was not my forte. Um, and, uh, so, uh, through research and things like that, I found, uh, the firm that we were at was HD Vest and I started in 1997. Um, and my job was basically bringing on accountants to add financial services to their practice. And a few months after I started, Sean started within two months, I think. Yep. Yeah. I started, Rick came there fairly close to being out of school. I had taken a few years. I'm a little bit older than more gray hair, but, um, more hair. I, <laughs> I took, uh, it, it was, I always had an interest in investments in college and everything like that. My first love was racing cars and that's what I wanted to do for a job and eventually ran out of money doing that. So had to find a real job. And my sister happened to work at HD Vest and said, you know, look, you always had an interest in finance and, her vest, who is a CEO, really believed in giving people an opportunity to get into the investment business, financial services business, and started everyone in the recruiting area. So bringing on new advisors, like Red said, that was the department we both started in. And, you know, they had us take our securities exams and really just uh, used us, you know, and Herb was very upfront with that and said, look, I'm going to use you guys with low wages and I'm going to give you an opportunity to see if this is something you want to do. So we went through that process and started uh, passing all of our securities exams, got those out of the way. Uh, they paid for our CFP exam. We moved into the area called the Financial Planning Support Department, which advises their advisors, helping them build their business. So doing case analysis, doing product recommendations, all that sort of stuff for someone who, in many cases, is part-time in the business because they had a tax practice. And uh, this it, that was their full-time part of the business. This was kind of secondary. So we kind of helped support them in that role. And I was there for 97, we left in 2011. So really about 14 years. 
And Rhett and I always knew that we'd go out and do something on our own. Um, and we decided 2010 that the time was right. So we spent about a year planning out how would this look. And that's what drove us to, to start this practice. Okay, so you started out in recruiting and then you went to like were your writing plans for advisors essentially mm-hmm. to do. How long did you guys stay in that role? A long time. Um, we uh, we spent, I think, working in that department. We both, there's, there's not to get into too much detail, but there's basically different divisions of that department. Uh, both of us went through all the divisions. So you're working with brand new advisors, mid, middle line advisors, and top advisors. And obviously, complexity of cases is changing and things like that. And so we graduated through all those levels. I think all in, um, I, I spent a little less time at Vest. Uh, I left twice. Um, I left after about seven years in my first stint at Vest and went off and uh, worked for uh, several different firms, um, I, working still in financial planning. Um, and then I was brought back as a sales manager and my job was basically managing the teams that worked in those departments. Um, like Sean said, he, he was there throughout that whole entire time doing all those same roles, but I just took a hiatus back and then came back. And so I was affectionately uh, known uh, by my managers and the company CEO as retread because I, I was brought back. But it was one of those things where it was a good environment. I left on good terms. They brought me back. I felt like I gave back and gave, you know, made them more productive. Um, and so it was a good relationship, but it was a good opportunity to come back in a different perspective. And in my case, I spent most of my time there. I, although the last few years I was there, um, the gentleman who was handling our national recruiting efforts, uh, who's a friend of ours, decided to move out of, out of the state. And I had past sales experience outside of my experience with Vest. And with the experience I had working in the financial planning department, uh, having managed a team with their first, you know, for several years, they asked me if I would take over the national recruiting efforts. So because I can relate a little bit more of the long-term things that are open to these advisors that are maybe thinking about joining. And at that point, I spent about I think three or four years doing that before we decided to, to make that jump. So did you know that you always wanted to have your own firm? I did. I, I think so. I think it was one of those things that in, it was probably more apparent to Sean than it was to me. I think I, I, I was probably a little bit more apprehensive because, you know, when you're, when you're starting anything new and you're going off on something like that, you know, being planners inherently in your brain, you think of all the good and bad. And sometimes your brain is easily drawn towards the negative of what can happen. And, you know, the, to Sean's point earlier, you know, when we did it, we'd been in the corporate world for a, quite a long time. And so there were luxuries of, of that effort that we a put salary. into that. A salary is one of them. <laughs> A good, a good salary, salary. Um, and, and so there were there were aspects of it that made it tenuous to whether or not it was something we wanted to do. But I think in the back of our minds, it, it was it was one of those things like that we we knew we wanted to do. We just had to both get to that edge and then mutually nudge one another over the edge. I've known since I was in high school, I was always going to have my own business doing something, and I took every. We didn't have an opportunity to minor in entrepreneurship when I went to college. But we did have an entrepreneur lab. We had a number of courses in that area. And I took every one of them, volunteered for doing consulting for the Small Business Association. Always knew that this was where I was going to go. And then once we got into the financial services sector through through Vest, knew that that's kind of the direction I was going to go. So 14 years. I mean, that seems like a really long time, especially for the entrepreneur type. I mean, why, why, why did... Why did you leave when you did? Like, why wasn't it sooner? Or like, what? <clears throat> well, uh, I think it, that that's probably a mutual issue. One, 
um, I, I couldn't stay. I, I kept bouncing in and bouncing out. And, and so Sean, we like to tell the story that, you know, either I was getting a raise and, at a new job and buying a new house or he was having another kid. And so there was always this disconnect on good opportune time. And so that, that side of, gosh, is now the right time, not the right time. We would always find a reason why it might not be the optimum time. And what we came to figure out once we finally did was that there's never the right time. You're going to just have to fight through some of that stuff and, and do it. And that's kind of where we got to was we, I can distinctly remember, we were at a, um, <coughs> excuse me, an opening day baseball game. And, and we basically were sitting there and said, look, if we're going to do this, now is the time. If we're, if we're, if we're not going to do this, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And, and we finally had to make that decision. And, and I think from, you know, from my perspective, we had worked, I had worked in the corporate world and, and was happy with the status I had achieved there. And the salary was great. It wasn't that there was a problem, but um, you reach a point in that corporate ladder where you're not moving up again unless someone dies or leaves. Well, the people that I was working under weren't necessarily that much older than me. So <laughs> it wasn't like I could see this light at the end of the tunnel. So I was, hey, in a couple of years, this, this guy's retiring. That, that wasn't on the horizon. And I think the other thing for me I started to realize is that um, the farther you go up a corporate ladder, the more you get away from doing what you really enjoy, which for me was the financial planning. And I was really good. There are things that you're, you may be very good at, like I was good at recruiting. Um, just because I'm good doesn't mean I necessarily enjoy that. And one of our business coaches that we work with, and it was one of the things that we really, I learned, took away from him. He really opened my eyes to that, that we had to list out the things that we excel at. And so I listed all these things, you know, that I'm really, really good at. And he goes, now, let's talk about the things you enjoy. And I said, well, it's not necessarily the things on those lists. I just happen to do those very well, but I don't get fulfillment from them. And I reached that point in the corporate ladder where, yeah, I'm getting compensated very well. I didn't leave on bad terms. It was, hey, I'm, you're paying me what, I'm, what I feel I'm worth. Um, but at the same time, long term, my kids were getting older. I was doing a 40-minute commute each way to work. Now my commute is six minutes if I hit all the lights in sequence um, and I can be home when I want. So I can choose my work hour. So if I need to take a day off to go spend with my daughter or something like that, I can do that. I still have to get the work done. So I may be back up here at midnight working through the night, but I get to choose those hours. And that for me was a huge motivator. So I keep going back to this 14 years because I keep talking to you about <laughs> That seems well, like, your age, that's your life. like that's half my life, right? <laughs> like, and, I, and I talk to all these young advisors and they've been working for three years and they're like, we want to go out on our own. Mm -hmm. Would you guys have been ready? When would, like, would you guys have been ready at three no. years to go out no. on your own? Like when, like. We wouldn't have gotten the clients right. that we get now. I always, you know, I worked with, when I was in, when I was managing teams at HD Best, most of my team was well younger than me. Um, and a lot of them had that idea. It's like, hey, I'm going to go out. And it's like, look, no one's going to give you money to manage. You know, the, the people that you really want, like, you know, in our practice, our minimum for the last couple of years has been $250,000. You're asking someone who may have $500,000 of investments to give you half or more of their investment portfolio, and they're 20 years older than you it's hard. You can't relate to them on the same level. Whereas once we kind of started getting into that age, we're now we're early forties. 
the clients that we can make this profitable with are more available to us. You know, can you work with the younger clients? Yes, but you've got to do it a little bit differently. That's now becoming more prevalent is there are ways to do it. That just wasn't open to us at the time. Right. Yeah. And I think from my, my side, I would say that, you know, while I get that, I've talked to those that have said, hey, I want to go do this. And you look at them and you look nine. Um, and, and, and I get that. Um, and the challenge with that, though, is not necessarily the fact that you look nine. It, it's the experience level. You know, I've, I've had clients that are significantly older than me, you know, and so if you take that same age discrepancy and just shift it down, you can make the argument, well, I have the same age discrepancy. I'm just looking at it from a different perspective. And I would, I would say that I don't think there's anything wrong with having that desire and motivation to go out on your own at three or five years, I think, but have the right perspective on what that career path is going to mean to you. Does that mean I'm going to do this, but I'm going to accept a slower growth rate? in what I've accomplished? Or does it mean that I am going to alter who my optimum clients are that I can relate to? You know, so you, you can't go, I, I think to Sean's point, to go in at a younger age and try to say, I'm gonna go in and get million dollar clients. Well, unless they are similar demographically to you that happen to have a million dollars, I think you're gonna be very challenged to do that. But I don't think it's impossible, but I think you got to go in the right perspective on what your opportunities are and your expectations are of your growth, your growth span. Yeah, I think it's easier now with the evolution of the RIA model. Um, you know, when we first started, broker dealer was it, and you know, working on a commission basis, you had to go off the big ticket items, and you know, fee base was really just coming into its own when we were starting at HD Vest. And I think the other thing, too, you got to keep in mind, you've got, even though we have, my oldest client is 80 right now, I think Rex is 80, 81, um, even though there's a wide age gap there, we're now both in our early 40s. And we have enough life experience that we can relate to them on their level. You know, I mean, I have kids now, so I can relate to her situation of having, you know, now she has grandkids, but... Um, but having kids and those dynamics that go on within a family, we can relate to that a little bit better. Whereas if I was 25 trying to relate to someone who's 50, which is where people tend to have the highest concentration of money, it's hard because I haven't had some of those same life experiences. And I'm, you still have a deficit there, but you at least have some experience. So, but then with the RA model and everything, it's made it a lot easier. And there are ways to do it with the custodians that are available and stuff like that now. You know, you can work with a less affluent demographic and make it work. Like the hourly model, you know, doing the monthly subscription models and all that, that just wasn't available to us when we were getting started. It wasn't even around. We couldn't even think of it. Yeah. We couldn't even go down that road. And that was just five years ago. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's also, you got to be ready for what goes on running your own business. I mean, you have to be the right personality. Not everyone is cut out to do what we do. I mean, I try to show my daughter and my daughter's like, why do you go to work? You know, well, you have to go to work today. You need to learn these things. I mean, if you're going to own the own your own business, that is your child. And there are nights when, yeah, I'm up here working at four in the morning because I have a project due the next day. You don't have the option to say, well, you know what? I'm just not going to get around to it. It's, you know, you do what has to get done. It would have been easier though when we were younger. Yeah, because more we, energy. we had well <laughs> energy, and we weren't used to living at such a yeah. higher level. 
And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we went from nice six-figure salaries to zero in one day. And that is a shock. And, um, you know, we've become accustomed to certain things. So we couldn't cut our budget down that far. But, you know, we always laugh, used to laugh. And we started at Western made $23,000, I think, a year. And we, we all lived high on the hog. We were going out every weekend and everything. And then all of a sudden, we were making three, four times that. And we're like, where did all the money go? Yeah. And so when you don't have that experience, you know, that lifestyle that you've become accustomed to, it makes it easier to make that transition, I guess. So let's talk about your partnership. So when you guys met, I mean, did you just, the heavens open up and like, I mean, like, how did, like, what happened? Oh that, that's a whole other podcast, Hannah. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Um, uh, no, uh, well, you gotta, you gotta picture where we worked. Okay. Um, we worked in what was affectionately called the bullpen. And it was literally cubes with a long hallway down the middle and we were back to back. So you had this hundred foot long hallway and these cubes pressed up against the wall and then this call center of, of cubes. And that's what our job was to be on the phone all day. So uh, that's how we got to know each other. We spent hours in this cube with all these people. You're kind of in a Petri dish of people and you got along with some and you bonded with some and you've been friends with some for 20 years. You know, Sean and I have been friends for 20 years because we started in 1997 together. Um, and there's others that were there that we know in passing in other industries and things like that. But yeah, I don't, I don't think the, I love how you put that. The heavens did not, we didn't have this moment where there's like a dream weaver song going on behind <laughs> us and we're looking at each other. It was nothing like that. Um, but I think it was one of those things where we, we found that we had a similar interest. We had similar backgrounds. We had, we were brought up in a similar way. Um, similar life experiences. You know, Sean spent a lot of time living overseas because of his family being military based. Um, and so I did a lot of travel because my family was uh, with the airlines. And so I got to see a lot of Europe. So there were a lot of uh, individual things that I think our lives connected on that made it easy for us to uh, re relate to one another. And our wives get along. Yeah. You know, my wife, you know, when Rep was single, we used to get together for dinner, you know once a week you know so you have those things it didn't just happen overnight no. you know but when you work there you know like in our case 14 years even though we left for a few years during that time we were still talking all the time and mm -hmm. it becomes your your family yeah and that was actually the hardest part of leaving because you know all of a sudden you've been working with these people every day for 14 years not three years but 14 years and they're all of a sudden you're like I'm going, you know, and they were, a lot of them were shocked because we had spent 10 months planning this and no one, there was usually a pool in the office of who was next to leave and we weren't even on the list. And, um, you know, but we've, it, it took time. It, if you had asked us, you know, year one, if we were going to jump out on our own, we're like, nah, no, it's just not going to happen. But over time, it built. Yeah. Yeah. So what... I'm very cynical on partnerships working, but you guys, you guys give me hope. So <laughs> what, what makes your partnership successful? Um, you know, I've, I've been asked that, I got asked that when we left, not what, what's going to make it successful, how are you going to make it work? You know, cause we had seen similar things where partners had gone out, had the best of intentions and they hadn't worked. Um, I, I, I put it two ways. I say the first thing is that uh, at least in our case, um, we have what I call complementary idiosyncrasies. Um, I'm a very big picture person. Sean is my OCD partner and he handles a lot of this and he will accept that. I mean, he knows he is that. 
And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that because I'm not that way. And I recognize that there are strengths that he has and he gets things done that I cannot do. Whereas there are things that he will get bogged down in that will not happen unless I say, okay, enough's enough. Let's go. Let's do this. Um, and so we find those ways to make those things work. Um, and I, I will also say that both of us are adult enough to A, recognize what our weaknesses are and articulate them. Um, and two, take ownership when you're not carrying your part of it. You know, when, when we're doing well on something, we're doing well as a partnership. Um, but both of us know, hey, if we have certain goals individually and I'm not hitting my numbers on certain things, you know, new client meetings, things like that, whatever it might be, um, and he is, I'm the first to say, hey, you're carrying this, dude. I need to step up. I need to get my game act together so that I'm doing what I need to be doing. Um, and I think, and so that, that ownership of the successes and the areas that are not makes it work for me. I think, um, it, and for us, a lot of people were like, you two are going to work together. You know, how's this going to work? You know, we've always gone into it. It's like with any friendship. I mean, you get through, we're more mature than we would have been in high school, obviously. <laughs> Um, there's always a door. So there are plenty of opportunities where, and that's not to say everything's always been rosy. Oh, no. We argue, we argue oh, yeah. with the best of them, you know, but his wife, I, you know, I use her as an example because she works from home by herself. And one of the things she said to Rhett one time was, uh, well, I want to talk to you when you get home because I don't have a Sean to talk to at the office. And he was trying to point out to this. We don't just sit around and talk to each other all day. There are days where we may be six, seven hours into the day and we haven't said a word to each other because we both have our own things going on. Um, and we don't read into that. You know, that's yeah. another important piece is that we're, we both know we're getting what we need to get done yeah. and get done, but we're not sitting there going, well, God, he hasn't talked to me for four hours. Is he yeah. mad at me? What did I do? Did I say something yesterday that I shouldn't have said? Is he, you know, did I handle something wrong? We don't do that. You know, we know that we're just getting stuff done and that's it. And if one of us gets mad at the other... Leave for the rest of the day, and that's happened too. You know, it's like you know, what? I'm gonna go golf. You know, this slam the door on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, in our first two years in in practice, because mm -hmm. um, we didn't know, we didn't have the money to commit to a nice office like we have now. Um, we also didn't know where our clients were gonna come from either, and so we found a uh, executive suite company in Louisville, uh, similar to Regis. They had six offices around from Allen all the way over to Fort Worth, West Fort Worth. And we said, this is a good opportunity because they gave us, if we leased an office from them, we got 60 hours of conference room time. So we're like, this would be great because we can use any of those six offices. So if we're getting clients, we can get clients from Allen all the way to Fort Worth. Um, but we didn't have enough money to get each of us our own office. So we, for two years, our first office was, we shared 120 square feet. And we had one desk that was kind of a wave desk that we got at Ikea that we were able to kind of share. Um, I mean, it was a long desk, but we looked, we didn't look directly at each other. We purposely put them on a diagonal so we didn't have to look at each other. But you get to know people pretty well, especially as OCD as I am. You know, he does things to drive me nuts and vice versa. But, um, you know, it, I think in any partnership, you have to be open to talking. And yeah calling people out. We're both very competitive, so that never becomes an issue. You know, I don't have to worry about motivating him because if I want to motivate him, I just go do better. And then that's how he got the enrolled agent designation because he was committed to never taking another test and I got it. 
And he's like, well, darn it, now I've got to go get it because you can't have one that I don't have. That's right. So, that's right. You know, that's just how we work. And I, I've always said, too, that, uh, and I told him from day one, I said, look, there's going to be that day that I'm going to come to work and I'm going to, I'm going to want to throw you out a window. It doesn't mean I don't want to be your partner. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to do what I need to do as a firm to grow what we're doing. But I'm going to have that day, and you will too, that I don't want to be around you. You've had that day. I've never had that. <laughs> and, and I think both of us being adult enough to know that has really, to Sean's point, I think is what has allowed us to do this. Because I don't, don't read into it if he leaves early and I know he's mad about something. I don't worry about it. He'll get through it or he'll tell me what it was and then we'll deal with it. And we move on. We don't harbor anything because I think that's where problems start is when you start to harbor something and not articulate with that person you're closest to and trying to run that business, then it, it creates a perpetuating bad, bad situation. Mm -hmm. So do you guys, so like on the income side of it, do you guys just split everything 50-50? Yep, yep. So are clients, clients of the firm? Yes. They're clients of the firm, but when a new client comes in, typically... Whoever gets that client in the door, they'll be the primary rep on their accounts, and that's their primary contact with the firm. But they get to know both of us. You know, we want them to make sure so that when I leave, I'm on vacation. They know Rhett, so it's not like they're calling some person that they've never met. Mm -hmm. um, but each client has a relation. One of us serves as the relationship manager. For that client and it's usually unless someone comes in and maybe I'm meeting with someone and I realize that they're not right for my skill set that they'd be better suited for Rhett you know I don't know any examples of it but like some I know he has moved over to me because they want more help with their cash flow and budgeting he doesn't like that and I can get as far into the weeds with that as they need me to so there have been cases I know in those situations where I've taken them only because of it's a strong fit. Yeah. It's just, just a strong right. fit. But and so your does your compensation like if you bring in like do you bring all like do you get a bonus for clients you bring in or is it just straight? Done that. We've done a little contest between us. Mm -hmm. But know? it's more for bragging rights. Yeah. You know, it's all firm revenue. It, it's more just because, like Sean said, we're highly competitive people and it's how we motivate each other because to Sean's exact point, you know, if, if I'm lagging, which is usually the one it is, um, it's a, it, he drags me along and, and brings me back up to where I need to be, and then I don't feel so bad about myself. So we might like say, okay, well, we're paying each of us a five hundred dollar bonus this quarter, mm -hmm. but whoever lost has to give their bonus to the other, and yeah, that usually motivates us. Yes, yeah. you end up making yeah. more than five hundred dollars yeah, yeah, yeah. in a quarter. Then. Yeah, <laughs> I like to make him pay yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, we've done expensive dinners. Yeah. You know, we've done all sorts of stuff. Yeah, so. So very that good nature. Oh, absolutely, it has yeah. to be. You know, yeah. that's the whole point. You know, it, it's you can't forget that the whole time that you're doing silly things like that, that it's for the benefit of the firm. And then more importantly, it's for the benefit of the clients. If we're doing good things as growing the firm, we're doing good things for the clients. Um, so we do these things to motivate ourselves. It's not about how I'm, I'm better than you now in the firm, things like that. We're 50-50 we're partners in the business, but we, we always have to bring it back to the fact that we have a responsibility to grow the firm correctly and then do right by the clients. And that's, those two tests have to be passed in every situation. Mm -hmm. So your lifestyles seem to kind of mirror each other. So you both, I mean, putting in the same amount of hours, I mean, there's not a big discrepancy. Somebody's working 20 hours. There are sometimes, but oh, yeah. not, I mean, we take 
Well, I just took a vacation. Yeah, we take vacations and things like we try to, you know, we, we stagger them, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, uh, but uh, we, we joking because I'm a morning guy. I'm an early guy, you know, so I could easily get here at, you know, I know it sounds sick, but like 5 or 5.30 in the morning. Um, and I'll work right on through to probably three or four. And then I'm, I'm pretty much brain dead by four. Whereas Sean does better. He's a, a later afternoon. He kind of hits his stride about noon, one o'clock, you know, and he'll go easily to seven or eight o'clock at night. No problem. Whereas I would be mush by then. I can't do that. So we we jokingly say that I handle morning shift and he handles afternoon shift. Um, but then if it's taxis and it's, it, it, it becomes both of us <laughs> working entirely too much. So I find it interesting when you guys started out together, I feel like you see all these young advisors who are starting their own firm by themselves. Like I don't, I can't think of maybe one or two other people who have, they started out from zero with another person. Like what advantage, like advantages, or can you just talk a little bit about that? Like why did you decide to do it with somebody instead of on your own? I think scope of like, you know, we, we divide things up. Like one of the things we want to do, um, when we started the practice is we wanted to become more involved in our community. We thought that was important, not just for getting referrals and leads, you know, but we had spent, I'd spent 14 years. I've lived here since 1995. So two years before um, we, we started at best together and we leave our community every morning. So we leave our bubble and we go to our job and then we come back to the bubble, but we really didn't know anyone inside of the bubble and we didn't like that. And, um, so we wanted to get more involved in the community with the chamber with, you know, I'm, I'm involved a lot with Rotary. He's done a lot with Big Fairly with Big Sisters, but we do a divide and conquer. So we're, we have memberships at the Flower Mound Chamber. He does all of that. I now work with the Argyle Chamber. So we can, I do Rotary. He does his thing, but it allows us to have that ability to divide and conquer those different things and cast a wider net and, I think there's a big piece of motivation too. Um, uh, our mentor uh, started his firm by himself. And one of the things that I've always given him accolades for is the fact that you're, you're in an office by yourself having to motivate yourself. That takes a special type of personality um, to be able to completely focus into something and not have that outside influence of saying, you can do this, you can get this, you, you know, you, you become an island. Now I know the, the technology has gotten a place where you can almost create the virtual office where you're, you know, getting motivations from outside sources, but there's something to be said for, you know, having a rough phone call and going around the corner and saying, you're not going to believe what just happened, you know, and have someone talk you back off that ledge. Um, that's hugely valuable, at least to me. Um, and, and so that, that ability to have that interaction with someone, um, be it for five minutes in a 10 hour day or for two hours or for an all day event that we might be at together, you know, it's, it's, it, it, there's a huge asset there of, of having that ability to have someone that's got your back that can motivate you and can also call it out when you're not where you need to be. And I think clients like the idea of a partnership because it's they're not as worried then of what happens if he goes, mm -hmm. well, it's, well, there's another person here, you know, that can handle all of your concerns. You know, we always let the clients know that, I mean, it's rare that we will ever both be out of touch completely for any period of time. We haven't had it happen yet. We always tell them we've got a picture of the Grand Canyon, for instance, in our conference room. And we've told people we're going to go back and do that trip again at some point. That will be probably the first time where Neither. we will not be able to communicate with you for a week unless 
we're both gadget geeks unless we buy a satellite phone or something just for the heck of it to have <laughs> one. But um, because there's no cell connection with my own kid. So um, I think clients like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll usually send an email out to my clients. They want to be out of town. I mean, our clients can reach us on our cell phone. They all have our cell phone numbers. But, you know, we'll let them know. Recently, I was, you know, in the Virgin Islands. And I said, look, I'm not going to have access to my phone. So anything comes up, Rhett's in the office. And then as soon as I got back, he then had to leave for um, Ohio for a thing he was doing. He did the same thing with his clients. So you need to call Sean because I'm not going to have full access to this. Call and do it. Clients appreciate that. Yeah. You know, whereas if we're a one man shop, you know, it's hard. You're you're basically the point of contact all the time. Yeah. And if you're not available, clients, are, you know, they can get a little bothered by that. Yeah. So what do you guys wish you would have known? When you started, like, what, what did you wish you know when you started your firm? And then the second follow-up question to that would be, what, what do you wish you would know when you first got started? It's hard because we spent 10 years, or 10 years, <laughs> felt like 10 years, uh, 10 months planning our exit. And that was one of the things we kind of went through with, we got fortunate, we got lunch with Richie Lee, who offered to take us to lunch and kind of share with us. Not even so much sharing with us. He said, look, bring a list of questions. And we basically rattled questions off. And that was one of the questions we asked. We did it with uh, two other mentors that we worked with. Um, and so we kind of went into it with our eyes open. The biggest thing that we weren't sure of, uh, Steve Blankenship had told us this. And um, he was right about dead on. And that was the first, what, seven months? Seven, 12 months. First seven months you're going to wake up in a cold sweat every night going, what the heck did I just do? And he said about 18 months, you're going to, you're not going to be there yet, but you will be able to see a slight flicker of light out at the end of the tunnel. And you know, you're on your way and you won't be just waking up in a cold sweat all the time. And he was right about dead on. We actually, one of the, one of our friends at HDVS, he left about three months before we did, four months before we did. Uh, to do the same thing. We couldn't share anything with him, and we talked to him after the fact, and granted, he was about four or five months ahead of us, and we talked to him about a year in, and we said, you know, hey, this is what Steve told us. He goes, you know, as I look back on that, he's about dead on. And that's probably the biggest thing, I think, is the most important thing, you know, I think, to just drill home. It's not something we didn't know going in, but I think it's a point to drill home is that, we knew this, it is on, you know, right about on track. And that was, you're going to question yourself because we got licensed. We submitted our ADVs at the beginning of March that year. And the state was in a glut because there was the conversion of SEC advisors over the state. So we didn't get approved until May 25th. So... And we had done 10 months of planning, so there wasn't a lot for us to really be working on, except the website and stuff like that. We couldn't turn it on because we weren't licensed. And then once we were licensed, about a week in, we're looking at each other, phone's not in. <laughs> what are we going to do? And then week two, phone's still not ringing. And, you know, we were getting out and talking to people, but it's not a transaction-oriented business. It's a relationship business. So those relationships take a while to foster to where they're willing to sit down and talk. I would follow that with, I think the one thing that I would make sure anyone does is 
be open-minded to what their network is inclusive of. It's easy for us to make relationships with other advisors, and that's a good thing to have. I mean, having a strong network of other advisors that you can sound stuff off of, but don't be so closed off to have a network of people in the craziest of industries because you never know where stuff's going to come from, and you never know how they're going to be of value to you, maybe not in a month, maybe not in six months, maybe not in a year. But I, I, I think back to the fact that when we were at that stage that Sean was describing, we, uh, we met with a funeral director. And it sounds crazy, but it was one of the, we want to understand that part of life, that, that aspect of having to do that type of planning for those types of clients. Um, and to this day, they're in our Rolodex as a contact. And they are, there's resources that they've provided us, for clients that we have lost and things like that, that, that were of value. But I you know, didn't, didn't need them right then. So I think, the big, I think a big takeaway that I have is, is as you start to develop that network of people that are going to be important to you, think big. The big picture of what that relationship could be like now, not only now, but how could that be a value to you later? So you don't close something out like, oh, I'll never need that. Don't ever say that. If you ever say that, you're being silly. I really think you need to say, okay, how, how might I use this in the future? And then put them in there and that's it. So looking at somebody who's been in the industry about five years, what would your advice be to them? Five years? I would tell them, you know, depending on how that, I mean, we've been in, you know, in the industry, I guess is different than, than having your business. So if you're talking about someone in the industry five years, um, keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're, you're at a stage then where you've got traction, you've got legitimacy, you've had some experiences, hopefully to grow that business. Um, and, and you should really at five years start to really have a good, strong sense of confidence in what you're able to provide but also have the responsibleness to know what you don't know and be able to acknowledge that. I think that's one of the big things that I saw when I worked with those newer type people back in the broker dealer days was they so want to impress and they so work very hard to get to a certain level of knowledge. They feel like being able to say, Hey, that's beyond the scope of where I'm at right now is a detriment. And quite honestly, I take it the exact opposite. If you can recognize your strengths and be able to articulate those, and just as well be able to articulate those things that I am not as good at, but I'm, I'm on the path to knowing better, that's powerful. That, that's really having a good sense of yourself. And I'm more of a planner. So for me, I kind of, not, I think of the vision side of it, um, especially for a solo practitioner, you need to be thinking constantly five, 10 years out, you know, where do I see this business going? I mean, Rhett and I already kind of have a vision of where we want this firm to be in 20 years. Yeah. Is it going to end up exactly like that? No, it's going to change between now and then, but that's a process that we're constantly evolving and looking at, you know, because up to this point, it's just been the two of us and we're about to hire our first employee. And then we have our expansion plans for where are we going next? And that has changed over the last two years because originally we thought, ah, this is what direction we're going to go. But you know, always be, don't just get caught up in the now, but you're a business owner. And I think, I can't remember who taught us that or where we heard it. And the, the term that everyone uses in this business is a practice. No, it's a business. And you need to think of it. You're not practicing anything. You are providing a service. You are a business. And you really need to not lose sight of the fact that this is your business. And we view our business as an asset. It's on my balance sheet. Um, 
And my job is to help my clients, but at the same time, build this asset, you know, for down, for down the road. And it takes cultivating. It takes, you know, so always devote some time of every week to focusing on managing your business and not just getting your clients in the door. So what advice would you all give to people who are looking or interested in the partnership track? Like owning a business with someone. Get to know the person, yeah. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing is we have an advantage in that we knew each other for so long. Um, you know, and there are, if we if we had tried to do this early on, we would have driven each other crazy. And we still do some of this, but um, that's where it gets hard. You know, do you get along with this person, you know, on their worst day? Can you sit in the office with them? And I know I said it already. I, I think to me, it goes back to being able to understand why you're in business together to begin with. You know, if, if this is the, if this is the industry that we're talking about, you know, the, the, the idea is to develop something that you both have a mutual passion to do um, and be able to put those energies into doing that. To Sean's point though, knowing them also means knowing what their values are, what's their desires, what's their vision, like Sean talked about, about what the firm is. Have those conversations early because not to say that they can't change in the future, but you, you at least need to start at the same place with this, at least a similar vision. Um, there are points of our vision that, that he and I, to this point, to, to this day, don't 100% agree on. And that's not the end of the world. We're okay with that. You know, the idea though is that are they in the realm of what we both have a passion and desire to believe in? And absolutely, because if not, then we couldn't do what we do. But it, it, there are going to be those things that we have to be able to make, always do that checking, find out what's working. Um, what, where are you at with this? How is that feeling? You know, and then have a natural motivation to, to work as a team. If, if you're not good in a team environment, you don't need to be in a yeah. partnership with anybody. If you have two people who are very hard-headed, stuck in their ways, mm -hmm. you know, dictator-type personalities, they're not going to work together. No. You know, you have, you know, we're both control freaks, but there are certain things that we just, you know, it's like, look, if that really is important to you, I really don't care. I want to have a final say. I'll let you know if, okay, that's an absolute no, but decorating this office, you know, was one. I my mom was an interior decorator, so I have kind of a background in that, and I kind of think some of these things are important. We had a difference of opinion on how, and he finally he looked at me and goes, "You know what? I'm comfortable. You're going to do a good job, and I'm not willing to die on this hill. <laughs> so run with it." Yeah. And there have been other things, vice versa. It's like, you know what? If he wants to go and run that way, it's not going to hurt the business. Yeah, go for it. You know, I'm not going to do it, but you can. And, you know, th there's a give and take there. And if you don't have the right personality types that are willing to do that give and take and will tell the other, you know, we're both very frank. So, I mean, if, if I think something's wrong, I'll tell. Yeah. You'll get maybe two people that let things fester. Yep. You know, my wife is one. She's not very vocal with me. It's like, hey, that bothers me. And it'll just sit there and fester for a week. You know, that's not us. I mean, the minute it's bothering one of us, we'll let the other go. So, you know, I'm going to call you on that. Yeah. But so, it goes back to also, because that's a really good point. It goes back to the idea, too, that it's not a personal attack on me. Okay? Sometimes it, it is. Well, 
<laughs> I didn't want that recorded. Um, it's not a personal attack on me. It, it is more of he has a certain passion around something that's business related. And so if he says, I don't like X, he's not saying he doesn't like me. He's saying that, that I'm not on board with that. And a lot of times, some people, to Sean's point, that are very hard-headed, they internalize that. They take that as a, you're making a, a personal attack on me. No, he's not making an attack on me. And I think one of the things we do well is, is separating those two. To be able to say, you know, this is what I'm upset about or this is what I don't agree with. It has nothing to do with you as a person. And, and then we move through it that way. One thing that's, I think, unique about your partnership is that you guys both started out as equals. So you both started at zero together. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to a partnership where somebody's bringing, <clears throat> they're, they're not necessarily starting on an equal footing. Mm -hmm. So one person has you know, 30 or 50 million AUM and one has a much smaller AUM limit. Like, can those, can that partnership work? Or what advice would you give to a situation like that? It can. You know, I think I mean, you would be going in on equal footing. Yeah. You know, there'd be a, you know, one of the things we always kid each other is, you know, we're both exactly 50.0. So now if one of us gets 50.1, and that's always the beginning, but I was like, how can I get 50.1? Yeah. Um, you know, but I think the person going in with less has to understand that. It's like, look, I'm going into this and I'm going to get a share of this, but I'm getting my share. Um, that's a little bit harder, but they have to, you know, eventually we're going to be in that situation because our next hire after this one will be most likely a junior advisor to come in and start working, supporting us, but also taking some of the clients that maybe aren't a fit for what we want to work with. Um, and eventually they will get ownership in the firm. We will still control the firm. Um, they will have a say in that, but you have to respect your place. You know, and I think if I was a person going to 10 million and this person's got 30, I have to accept the fact that I get 25% and they get 75%. Mm -hmm. They've earned it. But I think the, the person coming in at the lower end of that, while I agree with exactly what he said, I would also say though that there needs to be a clear path, maybe not to an equalization of that. There might not ever be an ability for them to be completely equal. But I think you can differentiate being financially unequal, but contributing in other ways to that business to, to balance at least somewhat out that discrepancy, be it knowledge, be it networking ability, be it... Um, skill set, whatever it might be. There's other intangibles that can be brought to the table that at least, I don't want to say bring the scales back to even, but but bring them back to a more moderate level of imbalance. It's not cool with you. I mean, I handle all the compliance. You know, so he doesn't do any of the compliance stuff. The bookkeeping, I don't know that he's ever seen the books, but I mean, I get the reports and we do the reports and all that, but he doesn't have any interest in that. There are other things that he does that I don't get into it. He handles that end of it. Mm -hmm. you know, so there can be a value on some of those things. And there needs to be. There has to be. Yeah. Because it, it's a lot to operate the business. Because it can be wearing to just boil it all down to numbers. Because unless you're bringing in big, big clients as a smaller person to bring yourself up from that asset standpoint, there might also always be that lag. And if you always just focus on those numbers that way, you're going to always feel kind of second citizen. And... And in a partnership, that's destined to fail. Well, before I let you guys go, I have one more question that I'm just kind of throwing out to everybody uh, to get your thoughts on. But what, talking about financial planning, like what do you see as the value of financial planning? I, I always, I've, I've been asked that question before and I always lead with, with a peace of mind. 
And peace of mind is, is a broad way of saying something that makes you as an individual feel confident about something. And, and, and the reason why I say it that way is because that peace of mind for you is going to be different than another person. Someone might be very stressed about a retirement goal. Another one might be very stressed about ensuring that their child gets educated correctly. And so I think one of the values that we bring is being able to give confidence and peace of mind to that individual so that that issue that's challenged them is, is given closure, is given an ability to know confidently that, hey, these are the steps that need to occur to make me feel less uncomfortable about what I don't know in this part of my life. I think for like a lot of my clients, they understand that this is important stuff. You know, financial decisions they have to make, the investment. They don't enjoy this. And some some do to a small degree, but they have other more important things, whether it's growing their career or you know, enjoying their retirement or going out with their kids, you know, taking the kids to soccer, that sort of stuff. And the peace of mind for them really is, I don't have to worry about this. I had a client, she's been a client for three, four years now, and she called me a couple weeks ago. She goes, so should I be looking at my statements? And I was like, what are you talking about? Your statements? Have you never looked at your statements? She goes, no, I trust you. I said, well, I appreciate that, but no, we need to walk through here and revisit how you access your statements and all that. And if you were to interview her, and I think she would say, she goes, I don't want to deal with this. I'm paying you so that you tell me what I need to do when I need Because we really do operate as a CFO for our family. So I'm the one reminding her her home and auto insurance is about to renew. And maybe we ought to get a quote. She doesn't think of these things. And she doesn't want to think of these things. She has things that she enjoys doing. Um, you know, I think... That's the, I think, definition of peace of mind for a lot of my clients is I know it's getting taken care of. You know, I'm involved in the decisions when decisions need to be made, but I don't want to have to be thinking about this. Thanks for joining us on this episode of You're a Financial Planner, Now What? I hope you enjoyed this episode and have a new perspective on partnerships and what makes them work well. If you have any comments or suggestions on this podcast or other topics that you would like to hear, please share that with us. You can reach me via email at hannah at guidingwealth.com or on Twitter at guidingwealth. Also, sign up for our email list at financialplannerpodcast.com to be the first to know of upcoming podcasts and events. We'll see you next time.